Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. Right now, joining us, David Balin. He is with Citigroup, their global head of investments. David, I want to cut to the chase and take from your note. You focus on gridlock. Is the gridlock forward than the uh, the different than the gridlock of recent years? Well, in terms of economic policy, Tom, probably not. I mean, what we're going to see, I think, is some level of stimulus package. It won't be what it would have been, um, you know, had there been a, a 100% control by the Democrats. But there will be a package. And if you think about the trifecta from a stock market standpoint, you, you have the Fed you know, holding rates very low for the next two and a half years. You've got some level of stimulus in January. And perhaps most importantly, you have four different vaccines that could basically be announced between the end of November and January. And they're being made in hundreds of millions of doses by each of the, country, each of the companies. The combination of knowing that there would be uh, an end to the pandemic in 2021 you know, stimulus in the market sometime in January and a known who the president is, is quite a, um, you know, a bolus of, of news that can propel the market higher. And I believe that that's a combination of those things that's actually happening right now. The market, Although I'm not really confident in the nature of this rally. Well, yeah, and that's where I wanted to go, David. The market is not a monolith. And right now what we're seeing is a doubling down on the growth stocks and the tech stocks and not the reflation trade that people have been hoping for. The neat narrative uh, that we were talking about is the Fed is going to have to provide more support. Rates are going to stay low. And that necessarily we're not going to get that faster growth from a higher fiscal support package. Is the neat narrative correct? Or are we going to get that stimulus in the form of just economic growth and recovery as the vaccine gets implemented. Yeah, I, I think that that narrative is, is actually wrong. Um, we'll talk a little bit about the rotation too, but, but the reason that the narrative is wrong is that you've got an enormous sort of you know, tailwind here. You've got basically between 12 and 15% of the global economy shut down in terms of travel, leisure, retail, education, healthcare, all of it shut down. You take a look at consumer demand in the United States, it's higher than it was in December of 2019 before we turn that back on. So there's quite a bit of a tailwind in, in that way, and also in terms of the actual amount of velocity of money, which will actually take place when everyone leaves their house. Um, and, and that's where you get to this whole rotation of the market. Um, it, it's shocking to me that you know the NASDAQ is up this way, but that is the defensive trade. Rates down, technology up. And, and that's what tells me that people actually are still scared. Um, once we see that change, I think that'll be indicative of what will happen over the next couple of years as the, as the regular market uh, you know, comes, to, comes to bear. David, great to catch you up, sir. As always, David Balin there of Citigroup. This is a joy. Rick Mishkin joins us now. Frederick Mishkin of Columbia University, the former Federal Reserve governor. And we can wax philosophical about the Fed, about our central bank. Forget about that. Let's wax philosophical about his wonderful textbooks, on policy. He has thought more than anyone I know about policy and linking it in to the American good. Rick Mishkin, does Mr. Biden run a traditional Democratic Party, Democratic president policy, or does he have to carve a new path if he's elected? Who knows? It's, it's so complicated. Uh, and uh, that uh, what's happened has been a, a real polarization not just in terms of Americans, but in but the parties themselves. So uh, we've seen uh, the right in the Republican Party go uh, 
to quite extreme uh, uh, positions. And we've seen the uh, left in the Democratic Party do the same thing. Uh, and Biden is, is a centrist, but it's going to be very complicated, and particularly uh, that uh, that uh, the Senate will almost surely be be uh, be a Republican Senate. Uh, so getting anything done is going to be very difficult. Uh, I do think that there will be some stimulus that will be put in place because it's really clear cut, I think, from both parties that something needs to be done. Uh, but it certainly won't be what the Democrats would have liked if, in fact, there was a Democratic Senate and a Democratic president, uh, because uh, this, there's certainly not going to be the kind of uh, uh, money going to the states uh, that the Democrats initially initially wanted. So it's a very complicated environment for him. Uh, I think it's going to be very tough for, 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 for Biden, who's, you know, I don't necessarily think that he's a, a super strong uh, uh, person. Uh, he, he's got a, a tough, tough job to do. And, and, uh, and of course, it's not absolutely sure that he's going to win the election, but it, it looks increasingly likely. The counting continues. He has his nose in front just about at the moment, Rick. The choreography this morning in the United Kingdom was phenomenal. The Bank of England makes its call, pulls the decision early. The Chancellor of the Treasury follows up. They work hand in glove almost perfectly over the last several hours. Rick, do you assume that the Federal Reserve and the person leading that institution is going to be much, much closer to the president and whoever that president might be, not just through the next four years, but over the next several decades? Well, I, I think that, that there's clearly an issue uh, in terms of the relationship between Jay Powell and, and, and Donald Trump is, is not good at all. Uh, we've never seen uh, quite the vociferous tax uh, that we've seen from uh, uh, President Trump. In fact, uh, 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 I mentioned my textbook, uh, in my new edition coming out, I have a whole new section on presidential attacks on, on the Fed and how unique these are. There have always been some attacks, but these are really very unique. So I think certainly... Uh, uh, that uh, if uh, uh, Joe Biden is, is elected, that the relationship between the Fed and the uh, the uh, uh, president will be much better than it will be been before. In fact, I think that Joe Biden will just leave the Fed alone and let it do it do its job. Uh, now, in practice, it really hasn't influenced very much what the Fed's done. The, the criticisms of, of Donald Trump, uh, but it does politicize the Fed. So hopefully, there'll be a little less politicization of the Fed. I think that would be a good thing. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see. I think the Fed has a very tough job right now. They basically are out of tools. Uh, that uh, the action really has to come from from um, uh, from federal government spending, uh, and that's something the Fed can't control. They clearly want more expansionary policy from the from the federal government, but who knows exactly how much that will be. Well, when you say that they're basically out of tools, uh, Professor Mishkin, this is really important. A lot of people are saying they are out of tools, but it doesn't mean they're not going to act further, whether it's expanding the balance sheet or uh, playing around with other uh, ways of stimulating the economy. Do you expect them to double down on their existing policies, even if they are not proving to be effective in actually stimulating economic growth? Well, it's a key, key issue is, is what do you mean by effective? Uh, that you're supposed to do what you, what you can to help. It's just that you have to be aware that that uh, uh, the tools are not sufficient at this point. Uh, this is one of the problems that occurs when we, we hit what we call the either the zero lower bound or effective lower bound on uh, on uh, policy rates. You can't go much below zero. In fact, countries that have tried to go below zero zero, it's not at all clear that that actually even helps. So uh, the Fed has a, has an issue. It can do things through through its asset purchases and its lending. Uh, in fact, I thought that the Fed performed brilliantly. Uh, uh, in the early phase of the uh, of the uh, coronavirus pandemic, uh, but uh, to make sure that we didn't have another depression. Uh, to be honest, that things were very scary right then. Uh, luckily, 
the Fed had basically done war games by actually figuring out what to do. It took them about 18 months in total to do everything during the uh, global financial crisis. They were able to basically do it in two weeks. So that was very helpful. But all that could do is stabilize the situation. Uh, getting uh, uh, the economy to bounce back when the coronavirus seems to be getting worse. I mean, my view is right now it's happening the economy. It's all about the corona, uh, uh, coronavirus pandemic. Uh, clearly, we have not handled this particularly well. Uh, and it has actually, uh, uh, we're now at, at record level cases. I think it's going to get much worse uh, in the winter. Just think about people getting together Thanksgiving and then not being able to go outside when it gets really cold. Uh, I think it's going to be pretty grim and that's going to be a real problem for the economy. And the Fed basically is, is, is going to do what it has to do. But on the other hand, uh, it can't solve the problem. And that's why we, we actually need uh, action from the, from the federal government. Rick, we would love to get you back on the program soon. We appreciate your time this morning, sir. Frederick Mishkin there, formerly of the Federal Reserve Board of Governors. Always with questions for the Fed is Peter Hooper. He is with Deutsche Bank and their global head of economic research. What a thrill to speak on one day to David Folkert's Landau and now to his colleague, Dr. Hooper. Peter Hooper, there is so much to talk about, but I need to immediately go to the cautious view Deutsche Bank has had on the American economy. Do you reaffirm that within this political moment? Uh, yes, Tom. Uh Near term, certainly things are, are, are starting to slow. We had a very good September, uh, but, but the data for October have, have begun to soften. Uh, and what we're seeing in the labor market right now, I think, agrees with that. that this morning's number certainly do, uh, in line with the sense that the labor market is not improving further. Uh, ADP number yesterday, 365, says we, we may get some downward surprise, uh, downward drift in, in, in payroll gains on Friday as well. So. Our sense is the economy is slowing to noticeably below the, the consensus expectation. Uh, consensus still around uh, something like three and a half, four percent growth in the fourth quarter. Uh, we'd put it a bit under one percent, perhaps. Um, given what we're seeing now as some slowing in consumer spending, we, we had a, a drop off in auto sales, we, uh, some high frequency numbers on uh, apparel purchases uh, also pointing in this direction. What's happening here is that the the drop in support, uh, the the unemployment unemployment benefit, the extra unemployment benefits uh, came off in October. Household income growth has slowed substantially. Uh, right. We think households are starting to take it out of savings. So yes, we do think the the economy is flowing near term, and the the election results uh, certainly at this point have taken out uh, the upside risk on on uh, substantial fiscal stimulus next year. Peter, what is the nature of gridlock right now? When you talk to Matt Lazzetti about an American Deutsche Bank view, does a gridlock get us closer to stimulus salvation? Uh, gridlock uh, getting a stimulus salvation, uh, I suppose, depends, depends on your point of view. But, but certainly we're not going to be getting uh, anything like the, the two, 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 three, four trillion dollar packages that people were dreaming about uh, under a blue wave. Uh, Mitch McConnell came out yesterday, said uh, we have to put high priority in getting something done before the end of the year. Uh, uh, the Republican Senate had been talking, had, had been talking about a $500 billion support package. Uh, I think uh, it's, it's with the election results we're seeing at this point, my sense is, and with a president, if, if, if the things turn out the way they seem to be leaning right now, if, if uh, Biden is president, 
uh, a president that's going to be trying to do something to bring the country together, to get something done here. Uh, yes, you have a gridlock. You have a Republican Senate and a, and a uh, Democratic House with a Democratic administration. But you're going to have, I think, an effort to try to get things done. So I'm not quite as pessimistic yeah. as, as... Peter, still a lot of ifs. The counting continues. One thing we can look at is the economic data, the hard data claims. We had the ISM out yesterday, services, the employment component, a little bit of sluggishness in the mix there, Peter. I just wonder from your perspective how you think the Federal Reserve, when they meet today, will actually pour through the jobs data we've seen in the last couple of weeks. I, I think they'll be seeing economy that is starting to slow. Uh, and this certainly uh, tells you why Powell has been out front saying we need more fiscal stimulus uh, at this juncture. Uh, it's uh, it's an economy that's still uh, hurting from the shock that it's, uh, that it's faced. Uh, and the support coming off is going to be giving us a significant slowing of growth. It's not enough to get them to do anything today. Uh, I, I, I expect to see something. Uh, if, if, if the numbers come in the way we're anticipating, I wouldn't be surprised to see some action uh, by the December meeting in, in, in terms of balance sheet, uh, in, increasing the maturity of purchases, this sort of thing. Wait, let's build on that, Peter. How much do you expect the Fed to potentially expand their balance sheet if there is uh, no promise of fiscal support? Um, you know, on, 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 on balance sheet, the first thing I expect is uh, in, uh, uh, increasing the maturity of their purchases. Uh, on actually expanding from the pace of $120 billion per month, uh, they told us that they would continue at at least that pace. So certainly if the economy is slowing, we could see some pickup on that. Uh, how much we haven't made a we haven't made a, a forecast on that yet, but um, wouldn't be surprised to see some something. Uh, if we don't get any more fiscal support before the end of the year, if the economy is slowing to well below well below current expectations, yes, I think the Fed steps in and begins and begins to do something there. All right. So, how big is the spread between the street's expectation currently of growth in the U.S. versus Deutsche Bank's house view of growth, given where we are politically, given where we are with the virus? Okay. Our our, our current forecast is uh, in the range of a half a percent for the annual rate of growth in the fourth quarter. I think the the, the latest Bloomberg uh, survey that I've uh, seen is is in in the neighborhood of three and a half uh, to four percent. So well above the numbers we're putting in there. We do see growth picking up next year to between three and a half and 4%, even without the extra, uh, I mean, we, we, had viewed, we had viewed the possibility of a large stimulus package next year as an upside risk to our baseline forecast. Uh, at this point, we're looking at something in the, in the half, half a trillion to one trillion uh, range of, of fiscal stimulus next year which supports that growth picking up into the three and a half, four percent range, uh, along with the assumption that we will get uh, relief through uh, vaccination and, and better testing. Peter Hooper, great to catch up with you, sir. Thank you. Deutsche Bank head of global economic research. Right now, we need to consider Michigan. We need to consider the state of the Michigan economy and the state of General Motors. And there is no one more qualified to do that than David Weston here 
with Ms. Barra. David? Thank you so very much, Tom Keen. We now welcome the General Motors Chairman and CEO. She is Mary Barra. So Mary, thank you for being with us. You have your earnings out just a short time ago. I think congratulations are in order. You exceeded expectations. People thought you'd come back. You'd come back more than people thought. Give us your perspective on what drove that. How much of that was General Motors and what you're doing at General Motors? How much of that was the economy and some of the massive stimulus that's gone into the pockets of Americans? Well, thanks, David. It's great to be here. And, you know, really, when you look at one of the key reasons was the GM team members. Uh, they have done just a phenomenal job across all areas of our business, working and demonstrating their commitment to the business, also priced, prioritizing safety and following our safety protocols. And that has been a key ingredient to driving this very successful quarter. I would also say it's on the, de uh, the strong demand for trucks. Uh, a couple years ago, as we started to roll out our new full-size trucks, we talked about the fact that we were going to cover the whole market, um, both from a value perspective, but also from a feature perspective. That strategy is working out extremely well, and we see very high demand for our full-size pickups uh, at all levels, but especially in those high-end pickups with the HE4, for example, with the GMC. We also continue to have very strong cost performance, not only the specific austerity measures that we took because of the pandemic, but also the work we'd already been doing as part of the transformation. And then finally, GMF. Uh, performed extremely well. So all of that coming together, I think uh, our products, uh, the discipline of the team, and uh, our, just our focus on costs is what allowed us to have this strong quarter. Yeah, Mary, as you say, I looked at your waterfall chart there carefully, and some of it was price and some of it was cost savings. So well done. You have it balanced. Let's talk about trucks. They clearly powered you. You've talked about them for some time now, your pickup trucks. Do you have enough of them? Can you produce enough? What are you seeing in demand? Uh, we're seeing a strong and growing demand, uh, and right now we're building every truck we can make, but I think uh, very shortly you'll hear us uh, taking action to how we're going to uh, further our capability to uh, to build more trucks, because we the, what we see is the demand continues to grow. We think the shift to trucks, especially with uh, the luxury trucks, the premium trucks that we're offering for both GMC and Chevrolet, uh, that that is going to be a continuing trend. Uh, so, Mary, uh, you talked about the safety of of your colleagues at General Motors. Is the coronavirus at this point inhibiting at all your ability to produce enough product, enough trucks? Well, you know, we've worked hand in hand, not only with all of the GMT members, and I'm just so proud of the way everyone is following the safety protocols and staying safe. And I think they're even in many cases taking them home. Our employees tell us they feel safer at work than they do at a grocery store. And I think that's, uh, that speaks to um, what we're doing and their commitment to, to following the protocols that we jointly developed uh, with the UAW and uh, our peers across the industry. We've shared all that with the supply base, and uh, that is allowing us to continue to um, make sure we have the parts necessary. It's it's a very dynamic situation, and we just work to address each situation as it occurs. But right now, uh, really pleased with how the team is is being creative uh, to keep uh, keep our ability to build as many trucks as we can. Mary, looking out into the future, you have been consistent in saying an important part of the GM strategy is electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles. Give us a, a little bit of insight into that, particularly as we are now waiting for a result on the election. Does it make a material difference to your strategy, whether we have a Democrat or a Republican in the White House, because they have very different approaches to things like fossil fuels and green energy? 
We are uh, 100% committed to EVs, and we're working to accelerate our, our EV transformation. I think some of the examples of that are the GMC Hummer EV, the Cadillac Lyric, and then the Bolt um, EV as well. We also just recently announced a multi-billion dollar um, manufacturing commitments at Factory Zero in Detroit Hamtramck, the Ultium Cell um, LLC in Lordstown, Ohio, and then just most recently at our Spring Hill assembly plant in Tennessee. So we've got the manufacturing capability, we have great vehicles, and we've got the expertise and the technology with Ultium. Speed is vitally important as well, and that's why we're working so quickly. So regardless of who wins the election, we're going to continue on a rapid pace to transform to, to EVs. Uh, Mary, you mentioned the Hummer EV. A lot of people out there are excited about that Hummer EV. How many orders, pre-orders have you got so far? The demand has well exceeded our expectation. As you know, this is a very premium um, entry. So we're incredibly pleased at the strong demand. And, uh, you know, we'll continue to monitor that as we go forward. And so, Mary, it's not just electric vehicles. It's also fuel cell. You announced a deal with Nikola. As I understand it, there's a deadline on that deal in December. Where are you on that right now? Do you expect to go through with it? And will there be material changes in the terms of the deal? So right now we are in ongoing discussions with Nicola um, regarding the transaction. The transaction has not closed, and so we'll provide further updates at the appropriate time. But I think what's important to note is our uh, fuel cell technology, the Hydrotech hydrogen fuel cells that we've developed with Honda. They um, they are industry leading, and that's from external sources. And so we're going to continue to look for ways to not only um, commercialize our our fuel cells, but also the Ultium battery platform, because I think that continues to advance our zero emission future. Finally, Mary, briefly, do you expect a continued rebound in 2021? What are you looking at? You know, a lot depends on um, if, if we across the globe get the uh, coronavirus uh, under control and we know what we need to do from a safety protocol perspective. So we're hopeful that uh, we'll start to make some progress there. Obviously, in the United States, we're monitoring if there, what will happen with additional stimulus. But uh, if those factors uh, stay, uh, if we get the virus under control and other uh, elements stay on track, we think we can continue the recovery into 21. And definitely, we believe we'll continue to see strong uh, full-size truck uh, demand. Mary, it's always a great treat to get to talk to you. Thank you so much. That's Mary Barra. She's General Motors chairman and CEO. Tom? Uh, David Weston, thank you so much. Really appreciate that. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.